Suppose you are asked to trace a direct line from the Jewish Torah to your trust that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Where would you go to repair? Well, let's take a look with our study leader, Dave Wurtzen, at how the Apostle Paul handled exactly this opportunity to teach about Jesus in the synagogue at Antioch. Dr. Luke starts this passage with a brief note about a deserter. Acts chapter 13, verse 13 is going to introduce to us a first century example of sharing the truth about Jesus in a synagogue. My friend Harry Ballback one day was interacting with a friend. I don't know whether he met him in a restaurant or maybe on a plane, but he was just sharing together. And it was up in the upstate New York area. And, and the guy asked him, he said, hey, Harry, what do you do for a living? He says, well, I teach young people all over the world. And, you know, you kind of do that. So Harry was trying to work with this guy, you know, hey, talk to me. But the guy asked him more questions. What do you actually do? He said, well, I actually speak to young people about the Old Testament and the New Testament. Well, the Old Testament really caught his attention. And the guy pressed him a little bit harder and said, well, what do you teach? He said, well, well, I really teach from the Old Testament about how Jesus is the Messiah. That really caught his attention. He said, well, I'm Jewish. And he said, Harry, would you be willing in the Albany area? I meet in a synagogue and we meet on Saturday. Would you be willing to come? Because I would like to announce to all of my friends, we're going to have a Jesus follower. We're going to have a Christian come, and he's an expert, and he'll actually teach us why Christians believe in Jesus. Okay? Now, I want to ask you a question. If you were given that opportunity, what would you say? In other words, you're on. It's Saturday, the Sabbath. You go down, there's all these Jewish people gathered together. What are you going to tell them? Well, Acts chapter 13, verse 13 and following is where you need to go. And when we get done the next few minutes, hopefully you'll be able to begin to have something to say. If you open up to Acts chapter 13, verse 13, we get reunited with Paul in his missionary journey. It says from Paphos, and you see Paphos there in the island of Crete. So you know these are real places. So far we've gone from Antioch, which is over there on the coast. They sailed down here to Crete. Remember we had all the stories about Paul blinding Elymas, kind of a power evangelism. He talked to Sergius Paulus, who was the governor of Cyprus, and he really responded to the Lord Jesus. Now, this is all home territory. Remember, that's where Barnabas, that's with Paul. It's a good idea when you go on mission trips to have the beginning of the trip someplace that you know. Now they go across open water. This is modern-day Turkey, and they land here at the coast, and you notice that big ridge of mountains? That's facing you. And and Alexander the Great actually landed here and then went inland. And that's the way he conquered the Persians and Asia. So this is a different kind of an invasion. Paul isn't going with his Macedonians and conquering people militarily. But this is now the invasion of Jesus into Asia Minor. The very first thing I want you to notice in the text is that we have a desertion. How many of you like deserters? Some of you with a military background. How many of you like guys that abandon you? You're a police officer. You've got your team, your SWAT team, and your buddies right behind you. You crash into the house, and you're supposed to have another guy going in with you, and you turn around, and he's gone. How many of you love those kind of guys? I believe it's possible that there are some of you that have actually deserted the Lord. You look back over your life, and you said, I know the Lord really wanted me to do something, and I didn't do it. You're sitting here and say, well, Dave, even as we prayed, I'm really hesitant to pray. I'm really hesitant to get involved in the things of the Lord. 
Well, it's possible that you're in, involved in a continuing story. And the question you need to ask yourself this morning is, in the way that you treat others that maybe have deserted you or abandoned you, or maybe you're the one that abandoned. I want you to look at Acts 13. It begins, it says, from Paphos, Paul and his companions, that would be Barnabas, John, Mark, and Paul. They went to Pergan, Pamphylia, which is right there in the coast, and then John abandoned them. The NIV says left them. That's kind of easy. He deserted them. And he returned to Jerusalem. I want to teach a little bit about understanding God's word. God's word is just like a really good movie, a really good TV show. All you know about John Mark is, one, it was in his house that they had the big prayer meetings. Reminding a little bit what we learned. Remember Rhoda was the girl that ran to the door. Peter was in jail. James was killed. The church is praying just the way you did, only they were really fervent. And Peter got released from jail. That took place in this guy's mama's house in Jerusalem. So she's a prominent Jerusalem Jewish woman that believes in Jesus. The next time we learn about him in Acts so far in this story is we learn that he goes with Paul and Barnabas bring a big offering from the church of Antioch, which has reached out to Gentiles. And they're trying to create unity in the body of Christ. So Paul and Barnabas go down to Jerusalem with this offering. Then the last time it's like, meanwhile, back in Antioch, Paul and Barnabas go back to, to Antioch and they take this guy with them. So he's been working with these two older believers, maybe like some of you. You're a young believer. One of the things you want to do is to start working and, and, and helping those that are a little bit farther along than you and the Lord. Barnabas, his uncle, is Barnabas. And so the Lord set apart Paul and Barnabas to go on this first missionary journey, which is a fulfillment, go into all the world and make disciples. We've witnessed in Jerusalem. We've witnessed in Judea. We've witnessed in Samaria. And now it's time to move. The rest of the book of Acts is going to be moving to the uttermost parts of the earth. John Mark gets caught up in this. This, We're going to go on a mission trip. And the Church of Antioch sends these guys out. And now we have him as the mission trip just began to get going. Crete was hometown. Barnabas, his uncle, lived there. But now they go across the ocean and they're looking at some great big mountain. And John Mark quits. And one of the things I want you to relate is some of you have quit. You look back over your life and it's stalling you out. Well, right now, Luke's going to lead John Mark. And we're not going to find out anything more about him for quite a while. So you're going to have to find out for yourself, is abandonment the unpardonable sin? What's the rest of the story for John Mark? You try to find that out in God's word. And maybe you need to ask yourself, what's going to be the rest of the story for you? John Mark leaves him. If I was Paul and Barnabas, I would be discouraged. One of the hardest things that happens when you're in a battle is to be deserted. It's to be left. So what are Paul and Barnabas going to do? Well, they keep trucking. They go right up. Just so you know, these are real places. Some of you are young people and teenagers or you have them. And they have the idea that these are make-believe stories. I want you to know that Paul and Barnabas came up, saw those mountains, this city, Antioch of Pisidia. It has a stadium of about 20,000 people. And they walked into that city. There was a large Jewish population. Whatever your belief system is, I know that that's true. Josephus tells us that. The book of Maccabees teaches us. So Paul and Barnabas are Jews. So what, what do you do when you walk into a strange city? 
If you do, I've done that. You find the people that are like you. You find the people that might be connected to you. The Jewish community is an ethnic community that's all over the Roman Empire. So Paul and Barnabas walk into a Jewish synagogue. And for the next few minutes, Dr. Luke is going to say, this is what happened in a Jewish synagogue. So he's going to answer the question, what in the world should I say when I walk into a Jewish synagogue and I'm trying to get across to them the truth about what I've come to believe? Paul does something really interesting. He begins with boring history. How many of you think history is boring? We've lost history. I challenge you, ask kids, go to Starbucks, go up to Barnes & Noble where the kids hang out and just ask them, who was Abraham Lincoln? Who was George Washington? Franklin Delano Roosevelt? Where's Israel? You're going to be blown away. The history is gone. Now, you ask them about the latest thing with texting, and you're right on the money. And they can tell you about a lot of contemporary things. But as believers, I want you to know, everyone might think history is really boring, and you might have had a really boring history teacher. But Paul is going to tell you that history is really important. And the reason history is important is your faith is rooted in history. This is a first century document. It is a witness to the way that Paul and Barnabas presented the gospel to Jews. He tells them their redemptive history. And he does it really fast. So look at it. Paul starts and he says, on the Sabbath day, they entered the synagogue, verse 14. They sat down. So Paul and Barnabas just sat down along with everybody. Everybody's sitting around the sides. There's some chairs set up. It says, after the reading of the law, so they did what a lot of you have done in church. They read the scripture that some from the Pentateuch, they read from the prophets, that would be somewhere in the rest of the Bible. And the synagogue rulers said to them, brothers, if you have a message of encouragement, if you have a message of exhortation to us, speak. So that's what they did in Jewish circles. In other words, you just sat there. If you were a guy from outside, Paul's a trained rabbi. They said, would you say something to us? So Paul gets up, and you need to be ready to give an answer to the hope that's within you. Paul stands up. He motions with his hand, which is kind of a Greek thing to do. So Luke is presenting him as an orator. And he says, my brothers, men of Israel, and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. So his audience are Jews. And then I want you to know, just like I taught you, there are God-fears that are beginning to connect with the truth about God. That's who he's talking about. We've got a Jewish synagogue, and there's some Gentiles there that are starting to get interested in this, but they're really connected to Judaism. In fact, some of them might have even gone all the way and gotten circumcised, which is a big step if you're an older guy, and uh, they might have really become Israelites, okay? So the audience are Jews. What does Paul say to these Jews? He says, my brothers, these are his people. He says, the God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. Notice how Paul gets them in. He's saying, hey, God chose you. He elected you. You're some of the special people. Men of Israel, you Gentiles worship God. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. And so automatically the audience is thinking, our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob produces the 12 tribes. Judah becomes the line of David. David's one of our kingly fathers. They're clicking through that just the way some of you that have been raised in Sunday school, you know, you learn those things. And Paul wants to put that together. He said, the God of our fathers chose us and he made our people prosper in their stay in Egypt. With a mighty power, he led them out of the country. Okay? What book of the Bible did Paul just summarize in one line? Somebody tell me real quick. 
Not at Genesis. What's the, what is it? Exodus. Good, okay? Paul jumps right in to Exodus. That's a good place to start with Jews. It's the big deliverance book. This is, Exodus is where the Lord God that chose his people delivered them out of slavery and he starts to deliver them. So Exodus is the glorious book where you have the plagues of Egypt and, and the audience is listening to all that. Then he jumps into the next book, which is going to be the period of the judges. It says that after he delivered them from Egypt, he endured their conduct. Some of you as parents endure the conduct of your children. And you put up with some of their bad behavior. That's what happens with God as the father of Israel. He endured their conduct for about 40 years in the wilderness. That's the book of Numbers. So you go from Exodus to the book of Numbers. Then he says he overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave them the land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. So what book did we talk about? Joshua. So when you read the Old Testament, you're teaching your kids, you go through Numbers as a book of wilderness wanderings. Leviticus teaches you all about the Lord getting himself and his people ready to come and live with them. All the laws about the tabernacle. Then the book of Deuteronomy is an old Moses just before he dies, giving five messages before the people enter the land. And then the book of Joshua, the new generation takes over and the Lord casts out incredible stories. The Lord against all odds, Jericho falls and Hatzor in the north is a big Canaanite stronghold. They fall. And the Lord gives them victory over seven nations. Do you think that isn't important? The Israelis right now are where? In the land again. There's tremendous battle over that land. The Palestinians, they're the sons of Ishmael and the extension of the Arab tribes and the Palestinians and they're fighting. And in fact, we might even have the Israelis attack the Iranians in order to stop this thing. So if you think this history is important, you need to understand the Lord gave them the land, but then they're going to get thrown out of the land because they're disobedient. Now they've been brought back into the land in 1948 and the history goes on. And that's what the Apostle Paul is telling them. Remember, the Lord gave you the land because you obeyed him. But you all know this story, and they'd be thinking too, yeah, but we didn't really conquer the Canaanites. And they lived among us, and the whole history of the Old Testament is idolatrous in a lot of the way. And, and all that's in their mind as they're thinking about that. Then Paul jumped. He says, after that, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. So he moves all the way through the period of judges, the stories of Samson, all that stuff. Jumps all the way to the last judge and one of the founders of the school of prophets named Samuel. Samuel is the one that you read about in 1 Samuel. That's easy to remember. Then it tells us this. Then the people asked, and they actually asked Samuel for a king. And this is in the book of 1 Samuel. And it tells us that the Lord gave them Saul, the son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, which is the Apostle Paul's tribe, interesting enough. Paul is named Saul. And Saul, the first king of the Old Testament, who was a disaster, was from the tribe of Benjamin. And so they're remembering this. Then it goes to the one that's really important. After removing Saul, and those are some great stories about how the Lord removed Saul, he made David their king. So we've gone all the way in this boring history. We just jumped from Exodus to David. And Paul is claiming that David's a real person. He's a very uh, a historical king, and he's very important. It says after he removed Saul, he made David their king, and he testified concerning him. And this is really important. I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. 
He will do everything that I want him to do. Now, if you were listening to Paul say that, what would happen in your mind? If you're a good Jew, you would go, now, wait a minute. And this is what you understand. In the redemptive story of the Bible, the Bible doesn't tell a story of some really good people and good moral people and good examples. That's not what the Old Testament story is. In fact, I would raise my hand at this time and say, wait a minute, you just contradicted yourself. God chose David. I agree with you there. God anointed. Samuel poured oil on him. He was the great king. But he rose up, and and in the history of 2 Samuel, in 2 Samuel 7, the Lord made an incredible promise to him because when he wanted to build the temple, the Lord wouldn't let him do it. said his son would have to do it. But the Lord said that he would never fail to have a male heir. And I looked to David, in the history of Israel, I looked to David as the king that united my people. He was the great king. He conquered our enemies. He united the tribes of Israel. But right at the zenith of his career, he committed adultery. Right at the zenith of his career, he lied and had the woman's husband that he committed adultery with murdered. Then he covered it up for a whole year. Now, how many of you like guys like that? That's really bad. Like, you got problems in your family? These are big problems. And what I want you to understand is the Old Testament story is saying, what are we going to do now? Our great hope, our great king, the whole story of the Old Testament from the book of Exodus until 2 Samuel is to bring David into the world and to anoint him king. And to bring the man that can really be the ruler, the legitimate ruler. And right at the zenith of his career, he totally fails. And that's the story. It's the point of it. What happens next? Nathan puts his finger in his face and says, David, you're the man. And David breaks and prays Psalm 51. He says, create in me a clean heart. Oh, Lord, don't remove your Holy Spirit from me. And David was forgiven. Josh Hamilton really blew it badly. And ESPN has been crucifying him. And probably a lot of you have been crucifying him. If you have a young boy that worships the Rangers or a young girl that worships the Rangers, this, and you've been telling him, hey, he's a believer, he's a child of God. And he got drunk at a bar right across from the Galleria this week. And he lied to his friend. He, he went to a bar, hid that he drank a little bit, went home, you know, and his friend says, are you going to stay here? He said, oh, yeah, I'm going to stay here. I heard him confess that. As soon as his friend left, he went back and drank some more and did some things he sh- shouldn't have done. From a human secular standpoint, he didn't really do that much, but he's an alcoholic. So if he drinks one, it's over. Really serious drunkenness. He's a big, high-profile guy. So if you're a child of God, one of the things you're going to tell your kids is, well, Don't look to Josh anymore. The born-again Christian is just a bunch of baloney. And all kinds of guys are saying, see that Jesus stuff is just a big bunch of baloney. Tebow might be a great example, but he'll fall too. That's because they don't get the story. You need to pray for Josh today. You need to pray for his wife today. It's hard. David's situation was much more hopeless than Josh Hamilton. But David... His brokenness leads us. Is God going to bring the great king? Is God going to bring a great savior? Because 2 Samuel 
causes us with the failure of David to hunger. There's got to be somebody greater. And the story of the Old Testament continues. And Paul says, from this man's seed, look at verse 23. Your NIV translates descendants. That's because in this case, it is David's plural descendants. But I want you to hear the seed. From this man's seed. That's because Paul, remember, if you've been in our church any time at all, the story of the Bible in Genesis 3.15 was introduced. There's going to be a great seed that comes. And this great seed will be struck by the serpent, but somehow he's going to crush the author of death and the one that initiated death and the one that produces suicide, the one that produces adultery, the one that produces murder. That's what Genesis 3.15 told you at the very beginning. And what I want you to see is that's not just Dave Wurtzen's thing. Like, I don't want any of you to see it and say, well, I just can't believe it. David's always harping on that. You need to understand this is the redemptive story. This isn't boring history. You live in a world that from the very beginning of the time, with Adam and Eve at the very beginning of the human race, God said, I'm going to send a great seed. And you say, Dave, where'd you get it from? From reading Paul's sermon in Acts 13. Because he goes right from David to say, from this man's seed and his audience that knew the Old Testament at all. When, when Gabriel came to Mary, Mary goes, how could I be the handmaid of the Lord that would produce the Messiah? She's a little 14-year-old kid. She knows what I taught you because she knew her history. And she knew the point of that history is a great Messiah, a great anointed one, greater than David, greater than, than any prophet. There's going to be a great seed that's come, and I'm hungry for him to come. And this morning, I want you to know, he has come. You say, Dave, how do you know that? Look what Paul says. From this man's seed, God had brought to Israel the Savior. I want all of you to be clear in our church. The Jews need Jesus, the Savior. Respond to me. The Jews need Jesus, the Savior. Your world doesn't believe that. I want you to really know that. Because all of you are going to go out. You're going to leave here. And the idea is that Jesus is for Christians. And then it's all just cultural. And you can have beautiful buildings, have really cool services. But don't bring it out there in the marketplace. What I want you to know as you sit here this morning, there isn't any Jesus. And all of your faith is false. And you have no hope if Jesus isn't for Israel. Because the whole foundation of our faith is what Paul is Jewish, speaking to a totally Jewish audience. And he's saying, from the seed of David, the Lord has now brought a Savior. And now he launches right into the New Testament. He says, before the coming of Jesus... John the Baptist preached repentance and baptism to all of the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, who do you think that I am? And John says, I'm not that one. Who do you think I am? Some people said, well, John the Baptist, the Messiah. He's the one that said repent for the kingdom of God at hand. All over the Roman world at this time, there were followers of John the Baptist. And Paul is saying, no, he isn't the Messiah. And John the Baptist knew that. And John says, no, but the one that's coming, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. If you had a great teacher in Greek culture, if you had a great philosopher that you were following, you would be taught you need to do everything for the philosopher that a servant would do. You need to open the door for them. You need to help serve their meals. But the one thing you could never ask 
a Greek student to do or a Roman student was to take off the sandals of their teacher. That was below. So John the Baptist is saying, I'm the lowest of the low when it comes to the greatness of Jesus. And then he tells us why. Look what he says. It says, brothers and children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. And we'll have to leave Paul in the midst of the synagogue in Antioch because he's gone from the book of Exodus and now he's gone all the way to the ministry of John the Baptist. He said he wasn't the one. But now he's going to make the claim, and during this next few days, you can study and then figure out, look at how Paul does it. What Paul's going to claim is the Old Testament predicted that Jesus would be pierced, that he would be hung on a tree. It predicts that he would be put in a grave, and then it predicts that he would rise again from the dead. God would exalt him. And that's what your faith is about. Paul's going to tell this Jewish audience every single week, every single Saturday, you read these prophecies. But you didn't get it. The people in Jerusalem didn't get it. So one of the things that I'm really burning about is, Dave, you've been taught from a kid the sacred writings. Do you get it? Do you really listen to what the Spirit of God is saying? Do you let him open your heart? The first century Jews were very religious. The leaders in Jerusalem had beautiful worship. They had beautiful sacrifice. It was all ordained by the Lord. But they didn't get it. They memorized the Old Testament. But they never understood that there would come a great seed of David. In fact, they were teaching that the way that you get right with Yahweh is by keeping all the Mosaic law. And Paul in the synagogue of Antioch is standing and saying, no. The Jewish scriptures did not teach that you get right with the great I am by obeying the law of Moses. For the rest of the week until next Sunday, you can ask yourself, how does the apostle Paul say the Old Testament, not your New Testament, there ain't any New Testament yet. In the church of Antioch, the first book written in the New Testament is 1 Thessalonians. Paul hasn't even gotten to Thessaloniki yet. So I want you to go back in the Old Testament scriptures like a puzzle, like a clue. You can read through the rest of Paul's sermon. Paul, totally based upon the Old Testament stuff, it predicted that the great seed of David would be pierced, would be hung on a tree, would be put in a grave, and then he would rise from the dead And it would happen quick enough that he never rotted in the grave. Do you believe that this morning? Your greatest enemy this morning is the hopelessness that you're going to die and rot in the grave. It destroys everything. You can cover it up, but I want you to know the great emptiness of human existence is there comes a time when sex isn't important. Food isn't important. Travel isn't important. You can't see anything. You can't hear anything. And your heart just stops. And you're done. And you can say, you'll have unbelieving friends. Who cares? 
But when they're all by themselves, the great emptiness is, that's it. And it turns all of human life into emptiness. And this text is saying, but that ain't true. Because there's a man who actually was put in the grave and he never decayed. He never corrupted. In fact, he rose again. And if you trust him, if you believe in him, he makes an incredible promise. He's going to give you a new body too. And you're not going to just float around in some spiritual existence. You're going to have a new, eternal, glorified body. And Bill Dyer back there isn't going to need his oxygen tank anymore. And Reva, my neighbor, that I started out with, that was young and vibrant. I thought she was a little bit old, but she actually was very young. But I saw Reva with a walker walking up the street, which is a miracle. Great answer to prayer. But as I saw Reva, you know, shuffling, there's going to come a day when Reba's going to be totally strong. That's what we need to get excited about. That's incredible good news. It's for Jews. It's for Gentiles. Let's pray that we're going to leave this room and create a generation that knows the boring history, but it's not boring anymore. They know how to put God's sacred writings together. And they can give really strong answers to a Jewish person like my friend Harry Ballback. When you get invited to a Jewish synagogue, we'll go on next time we're together and tell you more about how you can tell a Jewish person why you believe that Yeshua ben David is not just for Christian Gentiles, but he's for sons of Benjamin, sons of Judah, for Jews.